am I being honest right now? In this conversation with this person, and just before you do anything, to watch yourself with your partner, with your friends, like, do I feel like I can be who I actually am? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, 2020 is your year. Have you been dreaming of starting your own podcast? If you have, then this is the year to make it happen. Maybe it's an idea or something that you're really good at or something that you want to learn more about. Our friends Krista and Lindsay from the Almost 30 podcast just released the new Podcast Pro program to help you launch, market, and monetize the podcast of your dreams. Krista and Lindsay started Almost 30 in their closet floor while working full-time jobs in just three years. They turned it into a top-rated podcast with millions and millions of downloads worldwide. They've created such an incredibly supportive community. And in Podcast Pro, they're sharing exactly how they did it and all the secrets they learned along the way. You can sign up now at yourpodcastpro.com to launch your dream podcast. You can also find more information by clicking the info button of this particular podcast and check out the link there. And now back to our show. I was really excited to be able to meet with this next guest in person because her story really resonated with me and I really loved her book. Uh, we have Lauren McKinnon, McCowan. Lauren McCowan. Yep. McCowan. McKinnon. I don't no, know why I went McKinnon. Is, is it really? What is that? There's all kinds of pronouncing. It's not an easy one. There's McCowan. No, McCowan. I used to know McCowan, interestingly really? enough. Yeah, back in the day. Probably not related to me. How do you know? I don't know for sure. Okay. <laughs> Most of my family is not here. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Anyway, so here we are. You just wrote a really incredible book called We Are the Luckiest, and I'm so excited to chat with you about it. Um, just a quick little background, and we were talking just before I started recording, but one of the reasons why, and I, I get tons of books, right? Especially now, like I get a lot of publicists sending me books, but for some reason, you know, I was going through all the books and then I, I saw yours and I'm like, this looks cool. I'm like, what's this about? And of course, like the first page, that was it. That's just really? I, it, it. The first intro page where you start talking about, and I'll let you tell the story, but where you basically wake up after uh, going to your brother's wedding, mm -hmm. I was hooked. Mm -hmm. So, and, and to me coming from a family of alcoholics and addicts and mm -hmm being in and out of the rooms of AA when I was young, you know, with my family members, I'm very familiar with addiction. And I ha I work with a largely uh, sober community. So for me, it's, it's very, it spoke to me very much. So I was, I was really excited to 
chat with you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you. And that's, I never know how, I assume my publicist had sent my book to you. Yes. Yeah. So you never know because they go out to all kinds of people and you never know who's going to say, oh, this is interesting to me. Yeah. Especially people who haven't experienced addiction themselves. I always like when, when it reaches them. Yeah. I mean, to me, and this is my opinion, I feel like addiction can relate to every single person in one degree or another. And I, I really love that you speak to, it is your story, but I, and I, and I know that there's a specific avatar that you're speaking to with, uh, being a mother and being able to connect deeply with your, yourself, your highest self. And to me, I, I felt that it, it could speak to everybody because there was so many great gems in there about just how we numb mm-hmm. ourselves and our connection to who we are and mm-hmm. the things that we sort of turn away from because they're uncomfortable. And so, yeah, like I, I want to speak to, I have a, a slew of questions and I'm hoping we can get to all of them, but just for the people that are listening to this that maybe haven't heard of you before or um, what you've done, like what inspired you to write this book and just give us a tiny background on on who you are and what set you on this path. Sure. So I grew up in Colorado to a pretty normal suburban existence. one brother, I'm the oldest. I grew up in a drinking family where it was just a very normal thing. Now I can look back and see, and and I don't have to dig for it. It's open. That there's this, there's a lot of alcohol problems, you know. And I left Boston. I left uh, Colorado for Boston when I graduated from college, and. I went to a drinking college. I had a drinking, I entered into a drinking career and marketing and advertising. And so it was just so normal. And um, I never really, I never thought otherwise. I never thought about not drinking or being around people who weren't drinking. Um, And it wasn't until later, you know, when I would spend time with like my ex-husband's family or something, and I would see, oh, not everyone like drinks a lot together. You know, not all families do that. <laughs> I thought it was just the. I thought it's what people did, and I drinkers tend to gra- gravitate towards people who drink like they do. Right? Yeah, and that's what I did. Um, so overall, you know, I, I get asked a lot, like, when did you know that your drinking was not? okay. And it's like, now I can look back and I can see as early as, you know, 17 or 18 that I knew that I really liked it more than other people. Like Mm. I needed it more. Um, or there was this one moment when I uh, had a high school graduation party at my family's restaurant. We also owned a restaurant, which is very boozy. (laughs) And, um, I could drink freely at that point. It was like, you know, you're you're out of high school, you're going to college, whatever. And I, it was my graduation party. It was right before I went to college. And I had a pretty bad eating disorder at that time. Like all these things had been building. Like I really had no tools to cope with anything. And so alcohol was perfect. It was great. And um, I had like my, I was pouring my like third drink of the day in the middle of the day. And I was 
pretty well <laughs> intoxicated at that point. And um, there were a lot of like circumstances at that time that I was wound really tight. Like I had a lot of family stuff going on. I had my body issues. I was wound really tight. And at that, by the time the third drink came around, I felt I couldn't remember what I was so worried about. I felt so good. I felt like everything was possible. I was fine. Like all worries were gone. And I remember like taking a sip of that very strong drink and thinking, if I can just stay like this, everything will be okay. And that was, I was 17, you know? Yeah. So, so the answer to that is like, I, I knew, but I couldn't know that I like really needed this thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, fast forward, um, I got married, became a mom. When I got, when I became a mom, my drinking changed significantly. And I hear a lot of women say that. I mean, our bodies change, our hormones change, our patterns change. We aren't sleeping as much. I was, you know, I worked full time. Um, I, everything, it just changed. And I remember feeling like it wasn't working anymore the way I wanted it to work. My anxiety got so crazy bad at that point, but I kept drinking and I kept actually drinking more to try to like fix it. Fix it, right. Yeah. Um, thinking that that was going to fix it because it, oh, it did, you know, that's, that's the thing. All these things that we do to cope, they actually do work Yeah, for a while. Exactly. There, there's sort of this short term fix for something that is the under undercurrent that's constantly there. You know, we find these little, uh, band-aids of mm-hmm. things that, that work. And then isn't it so funny that the mind goes into this place of, I want more of that. Let's do more. Right. Like, well, I I can relate to the a, addictive mentality because I definitely have that gene. You know, for me, it manifests in like sugar addiction, mm-hmm. you know, or any type of uh, like consistent thing. Like, oh, this works. This makes me feel safe. I want to do this every single time. You know, like a little bit OCD. Yeah. So I can totally relate to that. And I think yeah. for for a lot of people, you know, if if with alcohol, I think it's very specific, right? Because it it affects your body. It's a toxin. You know, it it you're inebriated. Like your senses, your ability to connect. To me, the biggest thing is the connection with the body, mm-hmm. right? And if you were already having all of these issues compounding with disconnecting, mm-hmm. this was just adding on to that. And it's almost like, oh, this makes me feel good because I'm not feeling the discomfort and the unease. Of being disconnected. Of being disconnected. Right. So after a while, like you're just feeling more of the disconnection. It's almost it takes you to the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, it, it totally does. But it does, it does work for a time. I mean, I say like it was actually a very intelligent thing for me to do to drink, to do all these like coping. It's, it's our body's natural desire or to seek comfort. To, it's, it's a very primal, um, intuitive thing that we do. It just goes awry and it manifests in, you know, we get addicted. Um, and alcohol addiction, drug addiction especially, manifests in some pretty ugly ways. So, um, so the, to answer your question about why, you know, why I wrote the book, 
I got separated from my husband in 2012 and then 2013, my daughter was three at the time. And, and then in 2013, when she was four, we went to my brother's wedding and I, my drinking was really scary at that point. It was really dangerous. Um, I had already had a DUI. I really didn't know what was going to happen when I started drinking anymore. And, um, but I was working really hard to keep that, <laughs> to keep it, Yeah. you know, and, um, and I left her in a hotel room overnight at my brother's wedding and woke up the next morning not in our hotel room. And by the grace of God, she found my family, you know, this little four-year-old. Um, and so everything was okay as far as she was concerned, you know, physically. She was fine. Mm-hmm. But um, it, obviously that was a horrific incident. And that was my start towards working at sobriety. It was like a few weeks later, I went to my first 12 step meeting, but it was, I did not get sober after that. It took me over a year after that. And the year, that year really between 2013 and 2014 was such a intensely excruciating year because there was this thing that was killing me and I could have lost my daughter. I could have lost my, I mean, everything was on the line and yet I couldn't stop. Um, I would put together periods of time, but then I would go back and it was just so confounding to me. And um, I started writing in that time just to kind of figure out, I'd always wanted to write, but I, this gave me something to write about. And I, 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 needed like the writing really helped me figure out what was going on and sort of Mm. metabolize it and um and then I started a blog I started a podcast in 2015 and I just started really talking about what was going on because I had this sense that there was this much bigger thing than just like Laura has an alcohol problem you know it was like we're all hiding (laughs) we're all numbing out we're all lying about how we're doing you know, and um, I was a yoga. Te- I am a yoga teacher too, so I had this like sort of spiritual background, um, <clears throat> and I don't know. I, there was something in me that just n- needed to talk and write, and I and I knew pretty early. Like I'd always wanted to write a book, and then it was like I never imagined that this would be the thing I was going to write about, but that's what happened. Yeah, and uh, and I'm thank you for doing that because it's really good. Uh, <laughs> You know, one of the things that you are really um, passionate about, I'm like passionate about truth telling. Yeah, you are. But about being honest. And that's one of the things that I really loved about your story was how honest it was and how real it felt. Like mm-hmm. I'm reading it and I'm like, man, this she's like, this is she's going for it. Like <laughs> this is just so raw and real. And I, I feel like, not enough of us realize it and you speak to this and I'd like to hear a little bit more about you to unpack a little bit more on on how we are dishonest with ourselves Mm -hmm. and and how we don't even realize Mm -hmm. we're dishonest with ourselves Mm -hmm. Uh, you talk about people pleasing Mm -hmm. uh, so I want to just unpack that a little bit more for the people that are listening that maybe don't realize that they're not being fully honest (laughs) right so we typically think of being dishonest as, you know, just outright deceit and um, manipulating people with lies. Um, but it's it's much different than that. Like, so 
I'll back it up. I, through all this work and sobriety, I realized um, that I, I started lying very young. Like, I learned to do it in my family to sort of keep peace. And, you know, a lot of kids do that because we have to survive these environments. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents got divorced when I was very young. My dad is a difficult person. And uh, it was sort of like, <laughs> I know you're laughing, but it's like, it's the easiest way to summarize it. I love him, but he is, on his own admission, very difficult. And, you know, his moods are volatile. My mom's also complicated. I mean, I... Um, I had an okay childhood, but there was a lot of um, dysfunction there. And I learned to lie. To I, We all play roles. And I was like, I'm the okay one. You know, I'm the happy one. Everything's fine. And as I'm sure you are very sensitive to, it's like, what do I need to be to make this okay right now? You know, and, and that, you learn to lie, right? You learn to leave yourself and to lie. And... um and not trust what you're experiencing um, as something that's okay and valid and true even, right? Um, so I just carried that forward. Like I, I kept being that person that I wanted everyone to like me. I shape-shifted very easily and, and it worked, right? It got me friends and it mm-hmm. people like that to see people seem to like that image that I presented um fast forward into adulthood uh it's and alcohol was a big part of that like Mm. alcohol let me pretend even more yeah right um so you get to this point as an adult where it's like there's the outside Laura and then there's the inside Laura, and they're completely disconnected, right? No one really knows what's going on with me. I don't even really know what's going on with me. And and not only is there one outside Laura, there's like 15 outside Lauras. There's like the one, the one at work, and the one that this person knows, and the one that my husband knows, and the one that this friend knows, and they're all a little bit different, <laughs> you know? Um, and so... When I got sober, it became very necessary for me to um, create one version of myself um, to maintain my sobriety. Uh, and one of the big pieces about sobriety is sort of emotional sobriety and looking at re- your relationships oh. and what is working and what isn't, because that ultimately is what causes you the most pain, right? And I did work with a sponsor and... Um, we went through, you know, all these relationships and there was like this repeating pattern in the ones that were really painful and difficult to me that I thought I was sort of victimized in because mm. it's a certain type of personality, like a difficult, angry, you know, sort of big personality type person that I felt had bullied me. And it was like, your part in this, Laura, is that you have been dishonest all along. Like, you have never told this person how you feel if they, when they do what they do, they're just being themselves. Here you are pretending like it's okay all the time for years and years, and then you blow up and you can't take it anymore, and you're deeply resentful, too. I was people-pleasing, right? Uh, A lot of, 
I think women especially do this um, and sort of think of it as this almost like this noble quality. Right. You know, um, and it's it's dishonesty. Right. Because you're not presenting the truth of who you are, and what you want. And then uh, it creates resentment inside of you and you feel like you're victimized by your relationships and by your life. Yes. Um, and the good news is that was on me. Like I could be responsible for that. And I've had to learn how to do that. And, you know, it's a process. <laughs> Obviously, you don't <laughs> flip a switch and all of a sudden you're like, and, and a lot of times people say like, what do you mean? So you just tell the truth about everything all the time. It's like, no, there's discernment, of course. But it's like you do something that upsets me and I don't say anything and I pretend like it's okay, I have just created a false relationship between us. Mm-hmm. I'm teaching you how to treat me in a way that I don't like. I have a question about that because I think that there, there's, this is a huge thing that everybody does, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I do something that upsets you and your instinct or automatic is it's okay. Mm-hmm. But it's really not okay, right? So now you, you've created now this different energy around that relationship. So how then because of fe- right there's the fear of you don't want to make me feel bad right you don't want to feel bad so in a situation like that first of all the fact that as women we are in almost conditioned to be to be this sort of p- people pleasing type of like don't make waves because you're going to seem like you're an asshole keep or peace. keep the peace um you have to just be polite. Mm-hmm. You be nice. <laughs> don't be weird. You know, it's like, <laughs> don't be weird. Don't, because then it's like you become a problematic person. If you start yeah. to say, oh, that really bothered me. All of a sudden now you're difficult. Yeah. Right. So like, how do we navigate that? You speak to it in, in the book, you know, but I'm just curious, like just in general, as a woman, like raising a daughter, mm-hmm. like how do we navigate that? Well, it's obviously a huge topic. I mean, um, I think for me, once you feel the pain of not of living that way, it becomes pretty clear that that it's not worth it. Mm. And so much of our per- perceived rejections or um, our perceived like we imagine that people are going to think certain things about us if we speak our mind and they might but most of the time it doesn't really matter it's us that suffers again okay your point is valid like there is a cultural sort of you become a difficult person as a woman if you behave this way um i mean look i think it's it's a real challenge and i think it's something that you you have to push against that edge of what's comfortable for you and then see what happens Mm -hmm. the people that um I feel like it's such a good barometer and litmus test of what who you actually want in your life, right? So people that are going to say because I have different people in my life that that want me to be who I actually am, right? Um, there's a there's a distinction between just being honest and real and then becoming a difficult person right but we we sometimes don't see that right or like if i if i even show up at all like this yeah. it's going to be a problem it's like maybe but probably not you know well i and i really you know what i relate this to 
and I, I don't want to, you know, go off off topic, but I relate this so much to social media mm. in the way that we present ourselves in social media, right? Like the glossy, the pic- picture perfect, like my life is amazing. Mm-hmm. In the background, I'm like suffering from anxiety and I'm miserable in my relationships and right. I'm not going to show that picture because it's not as glossy as this one. Yeah, no, social media is brutal that way. Um, uh, and I don't even know how to like begin with that because I, mean, I think uh, the thing that we all have to know is just that it's not real, right? Even the most real, even like I try to be pretty real, but there's, I still only show 10% of what's going on in my life because it's also private, you know? So yeah, it's fascinating how much we do that and we sort of, um, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting, tricky relationship that I have with social media and I've gone, you know, I've come I've checked out for long periods of time and then come back. And I think the important thing is just to even have the the base level of awareness of, am I being honest right now Mm. in this conversation with this person? And just before you do anything, to watch yourself with your partner, with your friends, like, do I feel like I can be who I actually am? And if the answer is no, that can be terrifying for a lot of people. And I work with a lot of people who feel like they are, are unknown in their lives. Yeah. Um, so it's something, you know, something that you can actually do that I help, tell people to do. And I talk about it a little in the book. It's like, start writing things down. There's something very alchemical about putting, taking thoughts out of you and putting them onto paper, right? Like you work with the body and you know, like these things live in our bodies and they don't like they get trapped there and stuck there and um, cause all kinds of problems. <laughs> One thing that you can do, though, that anyone can do and it's free and it's available all the time. I mean, I have this journal sitting right here and no one can see it. But like I just every morning just dump all the things out. Um, and it's so important because you kind of find out what the truth is as you do that. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people are in a place where like, I know this isn't right, but I don't even know who I am. It's like, well, you can find out. You can find out. And that's a really easy way to start. Yeah. I, it's such a cathartic process for me. Like I'm a big time journal. I'm, I'm like a journal. I'm a journal addict too. You know, I like to buy the nice journals and they're all just kind of started at the beginning. And <laughs> yeah. nice time, you know what I'm yeah. saying? This one was a gift. I would never buy myself one this like... Um, fancy. fancy. Yeah, because I would probably do the same thing. <laughs> but no, I just, because um, a lot of people, you know, they can't afford therapy or they don't know where to start. And yeah. that's something you can, everyone can do. You can start to write things down. And if you're afraid someone's going to read it, burn those pages up and rip them apart. But you can start to get to know yourself and see what you're up to. Um, the other thing is, it's, it's not like, the the dishonesty is also born of this intelligent like adaptation as as a child almost always it's not because you're a piece of crap that you're going around lying but i think that's a that's something real you know it's like people we we love to hate on ourselves yeah. we love to think that we're just terrible 
uh, it's like you're not lying because you're a terrible person. You're lying because you're afraid and you're trying to get love uh, in whatever way you learned how to get it. It's just not working anymore. Yeah, so good. Uveda has one simple vision. They want to create a healthier and happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Uveda believes in the ancient principles of Ayurveda and want to bring them to you in a modern and easy way. They created innovative and full support supplements that contain only the best, highest quality organic and wild harvested ingredients. And now they have just introduced a brand new essential oils line to go with your health journey. One of my favorite essential oils is the immunity. Aromatherapy can help boost your immune system by providing your body the strength to heal and the support it so desperately needs. The doctors over at Uveda recommend to pair the essential oil with the My Healthy Immunity Supplement Kit in order to help strengthen your immune system to the fullest. For me, it is a non-negotiable as I travel all the time and I'm trying to take care of my health. For more information, go to uveda.com and don't forget to use the promo code ROSIE to get a special discount on your next order. And now back to our show. What was the what was the biggest gift that you wanted to give the readers of your book? I I definitely wrote the book for anyone who would want to read it, but I specifically well I didn't write the book for anyone that's not true I wrote the book for me (laughs) but I want whoever reads it whoever needs it to read it but I really want mothers who have struggled with addiction to read it I want to talk to her because um, that was by far the hardest part that's why I opened the book with what I open it with because I want to look at her and say like this is where we're going right here you and me I know you feel like you're the worst (laughs) and you're not um so and and what I say over and over in the book is like this is a human experience period it's not it's not unique it's you don't you all of these things that we do are just they're born out of this intelligent instinct, this very human instinct to soothe ourselves and get love. And it's just gone awry. Like we still have it in our society that addiction is this moral issue. It's kind of this unique thing. And it's really not. It's pretty much the human condition, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, So speaking to that, is like say to me what I want people to hear is that there's nothing that counts them out you know there's nothing that counts them out of the possibility of this beautiful life that's available to all of us Um, whether it's addiction or death or illness or whatever we all have something right and and those that thing is an invitation always it's an invitation what is the biggest lesson that you learned about yourself after writing the book? Mm. I have never been um, someone that I thought could stay with something to the end. I'm a very, I'm like, I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram, (laughs) but I'm an Enneagram 7. I'm like, ideas, new ideas, more ideas. You know, um, writing a book is extraordinarily difficult and it takes a long time. So I... um, 
I learned that I could do that, you know, that I could be someone who stays with something for a long time. I feel like that about my marriage, you know, I kind of like want it out. And then I, I, I just, I leave things too easily, I think. And, and this was something I really stayed for. So it showed me that I could do that. Wow. I love that. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> no, it's because it's, I can totally relate to what you're saying about being, I don't actually know, remember what, I've done it before, the Enneagram. I don't actually remember what number what I'm going to have to. It's so fascinating. I'm have to look. But it's, yeah, it's so interesting to just, you know, one of the things too is I feel like there are certain people out there that are designed to be a chame- chameleons that that really thrive in the change and the newness of yeah. different things and they can stay completely unattached and be fulfilled. That's not me. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I'm done. This isn't working. And I'm just impatient, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. You Maybe. might be a seven. Yeah, I'm like, that's what it, it's, I'm feeling like I've related to so much to your story, <laughs> like what you're saying, I, I get it. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful that you did write the story and, and that you are really passionate about speaking to our own efficacy to self-inquiry mm-hmm. because I think it's really important. I think we don't do enough of it, even with all of the tools and information out there. I think we're in a perfect age and time culturally, socioeconomically, uh, that we w- we're in a state of suffering mm-hmm. and we're perfectly primed for escape. Oh, Totally. So having tools like your book and people like you out there talking about this, I I think is extremely healing for so many. What do you think about that? I think totally. We are, we are, my um, friend Elena says we are brilliant escape artists. Like we've invented a thousand ways a day to check out. Um, So... And, and yes, we are suffering. And yes, we have extraordinary capacity to change too and to heal. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I don't see, I do see a lot of suffering. I also see that I feel like we are, um, there's a lot of, and I don't, think this is just because I'm sober, but there's a lot of people that are interested in um, sobriety of all forms, right? Um, and I think that to me, that is so heartening, you know, that and, and it speaks to our capacity for good. We hear so much bad all day long. And there really is, there, there also is a lot of bad and horrible things happening and difficulty. Um, but I also believe in the human spirit and the capacity to triumph in these like amazing ways, you know, and, and it's, it starts with the individual always. And, and I think that's the best message. It's like you, one of the main points in the book is like the, what I have learned is that I'm responsible for my experience. I am. And that seems like really bad news at first. <laughs> it's like, oh wait, I can't blame all these things 
it's like, no, you, you can't. And that's the best news because you get to do something. You can do something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So I've got a couple more questions for you. But for the people that are listening to this and want to reach out to you or they want to get the book, where can they go for more information? Yeah. So everything is on my website, which is my name, Laura McCowan. And um, my book is in anywhere books are sold. So Amazon bookstores, go to the bookstores, go to the indie bookstores. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram. That's my favorite sort of social media platform. It's my name as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you go to the info button on whatever platform you're listening to this on, all of the links that Laura just mentioned, all of those links will be on there. Okay, so uh, my final question, I ask this to all of my guests. And so one of the reasons why I started the podcast was because I wanted to create a, a place where people could go to to feel supported, to just get information, to get inspired. And it's the idea that we are all radically loved and radically supported by God, universe, Mm -hmm. source, baby Buddha, Krishna, whatever higher power of your understanding, that we are radically supported. The universe works for us and not against us. So the question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? Oh, so I... I don't know if this is answering your question, but it's the first thing I thought of. I... um, Woke up this morning, like at five in the morning, because I'm on East Coast time, right? And I had only slept, I went to bed pretty late, so I didn't slept much, sleep much. But I you know, traveled here yesterday. I'm traveling for my book. Um, I've been sober for five years, which is a complete impossibility at one time. It was like, and I thought this morning, traveling always makes me nostalgic. <laughs> I was thinking about how f- in 2014, I came to San Francisco and I was not yet sober. I was at the end, the very end of my drinking. I went to the Sutro Bass in San Francisco with a friend and I just had this moment of like like the waves and the... I definitely experience God in nature and especially the ocean. And I had one of those moments where it was like, it felt like a ghost had gone through me, you know, like a good ghost, like a girl, come on, you know, you, and, and I could feel, I called it, I posted about it this morning, but like, it's like a future ghost, you know, like pulling me forward. Like it, when you have those sensations or those feelings of what's possible and you can't, there's no words for it. You don't know. I didn't have the exact picture, but it was like run towards this. And, um, and then waking up here today, five days, five years later, and in California again, and and it's this whole different life. It's like I I had been spoken to all along, for sure. I love that. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing and that you will continue to do. I'm excited for all the future books that you will continue to write. <laughs> yes. uh. And I I'm just so grateful. What a Thank you for your honesty and your authenticity and your just your wholehearted ability to just show up as you and to really give those of us out there that are wanting to be mothers one day the courage to just be fully who we are. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 
Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.